but in all the later chronicles muslim records this nand rishi is named as sheikh nuruddin wali and this was the name given by none other than shah hamdan so uh, you know many Kash- kashmiri uh, hindu scholars who have written biographies of uh, lalla they have refuted these legends and unfortunately we don't see any contemporary uh, sources that talk about lalla's life so we can say that lalleshwari was bra- uh, was born in a as a hindu so obviously it's impossible that she can even be called a sufi she had a diksha and all that what about raskhan was he a krishnaite sufi let's probe that topic of our talk today is lalleshwari and raskhan are they sufi mystics or hindu saints why we even need to talk about something like this you know do we even have an inch of doubt an iota of doubt about these great saints absolutely no but unfortunately uh, the conditions which we live in uh, are not very conducive for hindu civilization and for dharma so the, the misrepresentation of all things hindu is like an ongoing project by the enemies of our civilization and one of them is this misrepresentation of bhakti saints as something else so so specifically you know the medieval bhakti saints as sufi mystics so this is really what i call as a dehinduization project so what i mean by dehinduization so it it operates at two level first you take a, a substantial uh, a civilizational aspect or core so so take kashmiri culture kashmiri literature or say tamil culture so you take any regional culture in our country it is filled with the hindu civilizational themes i mean there is nothing other than the the hindu ethos in any literature or culture of any region in india that's the fact so what they do is they they separate uh, the hindu elements or they they portray a picture as if you know the culture and literature of that particular region is somewhat secular somewhat it's nothing connected to religion and uh, uh, whether someone is a muslim or a christian uh, let's say living in some region of india say karnataka so so just to uh, make them own that regional culture they attempt to dehinduize the whole thing so it is one thing to create a sense of belonging which is good but to completely falsify uh, a historical fact for that purpose is is uh, something like an evil which we need to call out the other aspect of dehinduization is that take a, a lofty and noble thing in hindu dharma say yoga or bharatanatyam or let's say classical music and you know portray that as something not connect, connected with religion at all so yoga is not hindu bharatanatyam is not hindu 
uh, Ayurveda is not Hindu. So this is another aspects of de-Hinduization project. So this is happening in both academic uh, level as well as in popular narratives. So as you see, uh, uh, what provoked me to make a post about this in Facebook is that Amar Chitra Katha, which we all think is a great tool to introduce children to Hindu culture. So they just made this announcement in their website, Laleshwari Lalde, Sufi mystic. Now that's atrocious. So to call uh, a Shiva Yogini as Laleshwari, as a Sufi mystic, is to mislead a whole generation of children. And that too, when you know, when we know Amar Chitra Katha is read widely all over the world. And there was this other article uh, in Outlook magazine, uh, Raskhan, a medieval Krishnaite Sufi. I don't know what that even means. A Krishnaite Sufi, Ramaite Sufi, Shivaite Sufi. What kind of terms these are? So, so first you de-Hinduize uh, an element, a cultural element. Then you let it be appropriated by uh, Christians or Muslims or by atheists or whoever it is, and project it as you know so, something uh, like an orphaned. Uh, thing. And uh, in this case, so once you de-Hinduize the saints, they become Sufi. And then they say that the Sufi is always a cool thing. You know, if a youngster says, I am going for a puja or a bhajan sandhya, her friends will ask, hey, kya yaar, what is this? All old fashioned. But if she says, let's go to a Sufi music festival, then that becomes a very cool thing. You know, so on one hand, uh, they make youngsters become averse to the Hindu cultural elements, which is their native tradition, and um, uh, make things like Sufi sound very cool. So this is something uh, uh, that is happening at the popular level. So this needs to be uh, exposed and called out, and uh, that. That is the purpose of uh, this talk. Let's begin with Laleshwari. So Laleshwari, uh, we all know, is a, is a Kashmira Shaiva Yogini. So I'll give a, a bit of a historical detail to start with. She was born as Lalla in a Brahmin Kashmiri Pandit family in a place. Uh, so. The, the, the scholars, there is a difference, whether it is Sempur or Pandranthan, uh, near Srinagar uh, in 14th century, so around 1320 uh, common era. So this is a time just before the Muslim rule started in Kashmir with Shah Mir uh, betraying the Kota Rani and her sons and usurping the throne. So just before the, the, the Islamic dominance started in Kashmir, there was the advent of this great yogini. Perhaps there is a divine uh, premonition in this event. Uh, and she attained Mahasamadhi uh, in a place Bijbehra in Kashmir around 1373. So Laleshwari uh, was married at a very young age, like 11 or 12 years. And the legends say 
that she had a bitter experience uh, in in her with her mother in law uh, uh, and in general the family life because she was very spiritually oriented uh, from childhood and so she left the worldly life soon in spiritual quest and uh, she had received her first diksha from uh, their kula guru who was called shitikantha or shrikantha so in the kashmiri dialect he is called sid boyu so so some scholars say the name is siddhavayu also so th- there is some there are some variations in the name but there is no dispute that she had received a proper shaiva diksha from her kulaguru and later according to some uh, legends she also received what is called a shaktipath diksha from swami paramananda tirth in course of her spiritual quest and she was well versed in the sanskrit language the agama yoga and trika philosophy so trika is the traditional name of the philosophy which is currently called kashmir shaivism so as per the tradition uh, she can be called a shaiva kula yogini of the highest order and uh, some real scholars on kashmiri shaiva tradition have actually uh, described the course of her sadhana how he started with what is called a krama sadhana then moved to spanda sadhana and finally adopted the sahaja path in course of her spiritual journey so so this is a brief historical outline of lalleshwari laldev and in in all, many popular paintings she is portrayed you know like the way she is shown here uh, in this picture lalla's poems are called vak so the the, the word vak itself is like a adaptation of the sanskrit word vaikari uh, which is like you know the fourth stage of vak uh, so so that is the root of that word so it is a very simple uh, four line type poem poetry so lalleshwari was among the earliest poets of kashmiri kashmiri language you know so till about 13th century sanskrit was the official and literary language in kashmir so we see so many sanskrit scholars and poet like abhinava gupta uh, kalhana uh, utpala anandavardhana so many scholars in all fields of knowledge kavya vyakarana darshana from kashmir because the sanskrit learning was so prominent in kashmir so but the, the people used to speak what is called apabhramsha uh, from which the kashmiri language kind of evolved so so just uh, before Lalle, a century before lalleshwari the poetry started appearing in the kashmiri language and uh, for all practical reasons lalleshwari can be called you know the first major poet of this language and her poetry is rich in sanskrit words with almost no influence of persian though though persian language started appearing uh, in the north india you know from prominently from 
about 8th 9th century itself her poetry doesn't have influence of any of that nor there is influence of any sufi philosophy all scholars point out point that out and uh, there is all there is a popular legend of her encounter with a iranian sufi called shah hamdan alias mir sayyad ali hamdani around uh, 1380 but uh, many uh, kashmiri scholars have written that this encounter is not very authentic so so it is said that uh, there was a tandoor where the roti was made and uh, uh, this person shah hamdan wanted to meet laleshwari uh he could not find her anywhere once she shahar going towards that and then she kind of jumped into the tandoor and uh, for a moment he thought that what is she doing and then at a distance she reappeared uh, fully decorated with jewels etc and then he could not comprehend she thought he thought that the sufi thought she was playing some black magic etc so there is one such incident uh so so there are some other you know legends also concocted saying that saying that both of them met and they held a philosophic discussion etc but the more authentic historical fact is that this hamdani was the one who paved way for the islamization of kashmir uh with you know he impelled uh, the sultan qutbuddin of delhi who was ruling at that time and he destroyed uh, many temples in kashmir kashmir around that time so so we can easily uh, comprehend that it was never a form of philosophical dialogue or anything and then lallo's chief disciple uh, nand rishi so there are legends about him that uh, he, he was he had attained some yogic consciousness at the very birth so he refused to drink the breast milk of his own mother but when lalla took him uh, he kind of drank her breast milk out of which he instantly became a kind of a siddha and uh, he had also written poetry and but in all the later chronicles muslim records this nand rishi is named as sheikh nuruddin wali and this was the name given by none other than shah hamdan so uh, you know many kashmiri uh, hindu scholars who have written biographies of uh, lalla they have refuted these legends and unfortunately we don't see any contemporary uh, sources that talk about lalla's life uh, but only you know about 200 years after her advent uh, legends start appearing in persian works uh, but there is a oral tradition that is preserved among kashmiri hindus where some details about uh, her life are known for example she was given the name padmavati during her marriage because there was a custom of renaming a girl at her marriage etc so whatever is the case lalla was already a much revered guru and yogini in kashmir in fact her fame was well known all over 
even when shah hamdan came to that place in fact he was a traveler he went to many places and that is the reason why he kind of wanted to see her in the first place but then uh, it appears that linking her memory to the sufi lore was a deliberate attempt uh, of the muslim appropriation process uh, which can technically be called you know what is called takia so takia is a islamic practice where uh, one is allowed to tell lies to propagate religion you know so so he doesn't occur any sin or papa like in hindu dharma uttering a lie is always a sin but uh, in in islam there is a doctrine of takia where a person is allowed to lie to the hilt uh, for the religion so it appears that all this later sufi appropriation is a part of that that's what we have to conclude so but the most authentic source to know about lalla is her own poetry you know so now we can examine whether there is any trace of sufism in her poetry so uh, the, the, there are about 200 plus numbers of waq so i will take some 3 4 and when we walk through it we can know the truth so i don't know how to pronounce kashmiri language so i have given the poetry uh, in the devanagari script i will just read out the meanings please pardon me for that and there is a sanskrit translation of uh, lal waq which is beautiful it was done by rajank rajanak bhaskaracharya uh, whom a friend of mine mentioned that this was actually a kavyanama of the great kashmiri shaiva teacher lakshman ju uh, who lived in the last century so i don't know how authentic it is but the, the translations are beautiful the sanskrit ones so here is a verse yadeva shakkam te deva tadeva cha mama prabhu niyokta tvam niyojya aham tasyasti tyavayor bhida the six you have the same six i have but shamgala you have kept them aside this has become the difference between you and me you are the lord of these but i am like a slave of those they give me punches so this is a verse so you know this sounds very mystical what what, what is this six etc so unless someone really is familiar with the tikka siddhanta concepts it's impossible to decode this poetry there is nothing in sufism which will give explanation for all this so the six i have means the six kanchukas uh, what are called the layers of consciousness so they are niyati kala raga vidya kala and maya you know we we can we can kind of think of as what is called koshas in vedanta so they are layers which envelop the consciousness and the six you have so this she addresses shiva whom she calls shyamagala shyamagala means uh, one whose neck is black nilakanth so they are the six qualities 
और ऐश्वर्या आश्वा एक माया शक्ति सर्वकर्तृत्व सर्वज्ञत्व पूर्णत्व नित्यत्व एंड व्यापकत्व सो सो इन सेंस यू नो दिस इज लाइक वॉट डिफरेंशिएट द्ले ऑफ जीव एंड ब्रह्मन एंड देयर inherent qualities so that's what is of course we can go deep into this concept but for want of time i'm skipping all that so we can see how deeply philosophical and rooted in the trika tradition this poetry is here is another verse a brahmandam nabhito yena nityam omkarakhyo mantra yeko dhrutoyam kritva chittam tad vimarshaika saram kim tasyanyair mantra vrindair vidheya so here she extols the glory of sustained pranayama practice and the yoga siddhi attained by it he from whose navel steadfast steadfastly proceeds in its upward course omkara the syllable om and not but it i mean nothing but the omkara and for whom the kumbhaka forms a bridge to the brahmarandra so brahmarandra is a very subtle kind of nerve center that is spoken in all the yoga texts he bears in his mind the one and only mantra which is om and of what benefit to him are thousand mantras so in this verse you know one of the things that this sufi mystic propagators say that uh, lalla speaks very low of mantras and rituals and sometimes even image worship like murti puja etc but that kind of viewpoint has nothing to do with sufism because in many hindu texts themselves like um, yoga vasishta for example murti puja is criticized as some kind of like children playing with toys you know a, a real sadhaka who is in the yoga path will will start with those but quickly move towards meditation and contemplation so that view has nothing to do with sufism uh, so that's what we need to see and here is another verse uh, which so beautifully speaks about atma samarpana bhava so which is spoken by many hindu acharya करोमि यत्कर्म तदेव पूजा वदामि यच्छापि तदेव मन्त्रः यदेव छायाति तथैव योगा द्रव्यं तदेवास्ति ममात्र तन्त्र व्हाटएवर वर्क आई डिड दैट वाज वर्शिप व्हाटएवर आई अटर्ड विद माय टंग दैट वाज अ मंत्र दिस रिकॉग्निशन दिस अलोन बिकम वन विद माय बॉडी became one with my body that this alone is the essence of scriptures of parmashiva so you know for a gnani or a yogi who is always immersed in the self who who has become like brahma bhava whatever work he or she does that is worship whatever he or she speaks you know that is mantra they they don't have to worship separately or chant mantra separately 
So that is the highest state that uh, Lalla speaks in this poetry. And this is so similar so to, to, you know, there's another verse in Shiva Manasa Puja of Shankaracharya, which is very popular. So where he says, Atma Tvam Girija Matihi, O Shiva, you are myself. And Girija, Parvati is my buddhi. Sahachara Pranaha. So you are Ganas, Shiva Ganas. They are all my pranas, the vital airs in my body. Shariram griham. Your abode, Kailasa, is my own body. Pujate vishayopa bhogarachana. Whatever sense pleasures I am enjoying, like eating, etc. All this is your puja. Nidra samadhi sthitihi. When I sleep, that is like samadhi. Sanchara pradayo pradakshina vidihi. If I just move around, that is your pradakshina. Stotrani sarvagiro. All my speech is your stotra. Yadyat karma karomi tatta dakhilam shambho tavaradhana. Whatever work I do, shambho, that is your aradhana. See, it is, it is so much aligned uh, to, the, to the Vedantic and Trika philosophy. And here is another verse where he, she says, Shivova keshavo vapi. Jinova druhino piva, samsara roge nakrantam, abalam, mam Shiva, Keshava, Jina, Kamala Janatha. The name could be any. I am helpless and a weak woman. Save me from the ocean of transmigration. You are the one, you are the one, you are the one. So in, in the Kashmiri language, it sounds like a mantra. Suhwa, 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 suh. So here she refers Shiva, Vishnu, Jina and Kamala Janatha is Buddha. So such references of, you know, calling multiple divinities is very common in Sanskrit poems. But note that there is no Sufi or any Islamic reference in this verse. And there is another uh, proof that is shining at our face that why uh, Lalleshwari simply cannot be a Sufi. We can, so whoever says that, we can ask them, show me another saint like Lalleshwari. Can they show? Are there women saints? Are there yoginis? None. But in the Hindu tradition, we have Shiva yogini saints from other parts of Bharat. So we have Karikal Ammayar, uh, who is shown uh, in the middle in this picture. So she was a great saint who, who lived in the 5th, 6th century CE in Tamil Nadu. Uh, so so uh, she attained very, very high spiritual state and to such a level that she couldn't bear the, the flesh of her body. So she asked a boon from Shiva that make me like a skeleton so that, you know, uh, nobody, nobody will think I'm a beautiful woman. And, and then she, she was made like that. Uh, with sagging breasts and a skeletal form. And in sculptures, she's always portrayed like that. And there was another saint, Akka Mahadevi, from the Karnataka Veerashaiva tradition, who actually the legend is similar to Lalleshwari. So she, she got married and uh, obviously the mother-in-law could not tolerate her spiritual quest. She left home 
and her poetry is all also deeply yogic and mystical similar to lalleshwari now let's move on to raskam so we can say that lalleshwari was uh, was born in a as a hindu so obviously it's impossible that she can even be called a sufi she had a diksha and all that what about raskam was he a krishnaite sufi let's probe that so raskam he was born as sayyid ibrahim khan in 1548 so some say he was born in kabul afghanistan that's the majority view there is another view which says that he was he was actually born in delhi but from the childhood he kind of lived in the delhi areas uh, and uh, he attained mahasamadhi as ras khan not as ibrahim khan in 1628 in vrindavan and this name ras khan is a very interesting one you know so the khan actually becomes khan also so which was like a royal title so khan in hindi also means treasure so his name can be interpreted as ras khan he was a treasure of rasa rasa of what rasa of krishna bhakti so that is why he puts his name as ras khan in all his poems he renounced the islamic ways of life very early in the youth and he accepted shri krishna as the supreme god and officially became a vaishnava how because he got vaishnava diksha from gosai vithaldas maharaj of the vallabha sampradaya but uh, goswami vithaldas came in the same lineage as vallabhacharya so there are many legends associated with life that once he was he joined uh, a group of uh, muslim pilgrims going towards mecca and when they were on the way he saw a party singing songs on krishna his mind was automatically drawn towards that and he just left that tolly of muslim pilgrims and went along with the singers and that's how he got into krishna bhakti and there is another legend uh, where uh, he he was always attached to one particular friend and then at some point uh, when some vaishnavas were pointing out if someone has to love somebody it has to be like the love of raskhan for that boy you should love krishna like that so then this punched him and he became a krishna bhakta so there are a few legends like that uh, and his life history is narrated not in any muslim text but texts like bhava prakash bhakta kalpa dhruma and chaurasi vaishnavan ki varta which contains the stories of many other hindu saints and bhaktas so uh, sujan raskhan and prem vatika so these are raskhan's works and his poetry is filled with krishna bhakti and description of krishna leela in vivid colors like bal leela kunj leela ras leela panghat leela dan leela there are a few poems on shiva ganga and also on holy festival by him and uh, the language of his hindi poetry is khadi boli brij bhasha dialect it is filled with sanskrit words and idioms see it's important though he was you know he had a, a muslim upbringing and he was a scholar of persian 
his poetry doesn't have persian influence at all and uh, literally no influence of persian or arabic this this poetry in literary terms is of the same genre as the ashtachap you know poets uh, like eight krishna bhakti poets uh, surdas etc so it is said that he also translated bhagavata purana into persian but it's not clear if this work is still available uh, it appears uh, that it, it is gone but the legends mention this so if it was available uh, that could be used uh, perhaps it could even be made available in iran uh, where people can read bhagavata purana and some of the popular poems i'll just take a few, two three not more than that look at this poem sesh ganesh mahesh dinesh suresh jahi nirantar gaave jahi anadi anant akhand acheed abhed suved batave narad se sukh vyas rate pachhari tau puni par na paave tahi ahir ki chohariya छछिया भरी छाछ पे नाच न जावे डस इट साउंड एनीथिंग इवन रिमोटली कनेक्टेड टू सूफी टू यू व्हाट ही सेस आदिशेषा गणेशा महेशा दिनेशा सुरेशा दे ऑल सिंग हिज ग्लोरीज ऑलवेज विदाउट बिगिनिंग विदाउट एंड नॉन सेपरेबल नॉन डिस्ट्रक्टिबल विदाउट डिफरेंस अभेद so say the great vedas about him from narada to vyasa sages keep talking about him still they cannot exhaust or go over him but this little cowherd girl he uses a very dehati dialect there ahir ki chohariya what she does she she makes such a uh, godhead dance to her tunes for what in return for a small cup of buttermilk so krishna goes and demands that you give me that buttermilk you know chachiya bhari chach then she says no no you dance and then i'll give so what what kind of a depth of devotional feeling and bhakti that is visible in these lines there's another popular poem मानुष हम तो वही रसखान बसो मिली गोकुल गांव के ग्वारन जो पशु हम तो कहा बस मेरो चरणित नंद की धेनु मंझार पाहन हम तो वही गिरी को जो धरो कर छत्र पुरंदर धारन जो खग हम तो बसेरा करो मिली कालिंदी कूल कदम्ब की डार शेष रसखान इफ आई वेर टू बी बॉर्न एस अन let me be born living amidst the cowherd boys of gokula if it were an animal let me be among the cows that are taken for grazing by him every day if it were a lifeless stone let me be the one that he lifted as umbrella that is govardhan giri to save his devotees from indra if it were to be a bird let me have a cage on the branches of the kadamba tree on the banks of yamuna see first he talks about rebirth here you know does sufism accept rebirth someone being born as human 
or animal or bird and he talks about uh, the leelas of krishna so in whatever birth he is born he wants to be associated with somehow with krishna so that is the spirit of this poetry and the other work prema vatika so this is often quoted by the the sufi propagandist that prem is the essence of all that you know you, you leave krishna everything so prem is the essence of raskhan's poetry so we can count him as sufi but what is the kind of prem that raskhan is talking about that's important so here are a few uh, verses from that work prem ayan shri radhika prem baran nand nand prem vatika ke do malin mali dwand the dwelling of love is shri radhika the son of nanda is love's color both are the divine gardeners of the garden of love he says another verse he says lok ved marjad sab laj kaj sandeh det bahaye prem kari vidhi nishedh kone the rules of the world the rules of the veda shame works and doubt all these you give up in the path of love for what are regulations and negations in this path vidhi nishedh both are not there and in another verse he says shastran padhi pandit bhaye kai maulvi quran juye prem janyo nahi kaha kyo raskhan reading the shastras you become pandit reciting the quran a maulvi but if you have not known love what is the use asks raskhan see it's very important to know that the love or prem that he refers in all these poems is neither sufi nor some secular type love or nothing mystic it is the prem which is mentioned very clearly in the vaishnava tradition in the in the narada bhakti sutra what is bhakti so the narada says satvasmin parama prema roopa it is nothing but the embodiment of love so parama prema roopa is the word used by the narada and the same uh, same concept raskhan says in that verse so his prem is not like a sufi prem or some secular prem he says the the color of prem is nandanand and the prem ayani is shri radhika so there is no prem without them for him and when he says no rules and regulations this is not any rebellious or revolutionary idea or anything like that it is it is derived from uh, it is spoken in many vedantic and bhakti texts that uh, you know in the narada bhakti sutra itself two kind of lajja are spoken about you know a bhakta should not have lajja for example uh, he shouldn't feel somewhat inhibited uh, to sing and dance in public the glory of krishna so so we see when you go to mathura on a special day so people simply you know you see a rapture and ecstasy nobody has any inhibition they just sing and dance so what is this inhibition 
So the bhakti texts talk about loka lajja and veda lajja. Loka lajja is a normal worldly shame, you know, which which any person would have. Uh, should I sing? Should I dance? Uh, should I tell the name of Krishna in public? What will the others think? That is loka lajja. The veda lajja is the inhibition born out when somebody learns a lot. and you know into vedas puranas and shastras and that itself becomes a inhibition for him so both lajja should be given up that's what he says and that is nothing related to sufism so so his word vidhi nished ko ne it comes straight from a phrase of shankaracharya nistrai gunye pathi vicharatah ko vidhi ko nishedah no what regulations what negations the same thing he has spoken in hindi and this is raskhan samadhi mandir at mahaban near madhura so does it look like a sufi tomb it is it is a hindu uh, bhakts um, samadhi and it is a tirthasthan for krishna bhakts where uh, there is some particular tithi uh, i forgot to mention that here on which many bhakts go here and they sing the songs of raskhan as some kind of uh, guru puja for him like the way it is done for all other hindu saints and gurus so nirguna of vedanta in hindu dharma is not the same as formless god idea of islam you know it's there's so completely different because the god of islam is a god of rewards and punishment so he will re- he rewards the faithfuls and punishes the the kafir i mean but the nirguna of vedanta is it's it's not even a, a person it is a, a very subtle philosophical idea even you know it's beyond gender beyond anything so th- there is absolutely no relation between both these concepts and the ekam which is the oneness of hindu dharma is nothing related to the monotheistic idea of one god of abrahamic religions see one uh, the, the ekam of the hindu dharma talks about uh, oneness it's a quality it is not a numerical one but the abrahamic god idea talks about a particular god with a particular name whether it is yehwa or the almighty or the allah you know just that one uh, the, the the personage so they are vastly different and the prema or bhakti of hindu dharma is not the same as ishq or divanagi or any such thing of the sufi we already saw that and the yogic and bhakti states of consciousness which are elaborated in great detail in the hindu text is nothing related to some kind of ecstasy states of the sufi where they sing and dance and close their eyes etc there is no no scientific or a formal description of any such uh, states of consciousness in the sufi literature that exists only in hindu dharma and most importantly sufism you know the, the coolness of sufism is derived from uh mysticism music and dance etc but historically sufism is not just that 
they have uh, the sufis had a very violent history of jihad bigotry aggression and temple destruction in india in fact one historian was telling me last week uh, that you know there is no sufi tomb or mazar in india which is not built over a demolished hindu temple almost every one of these sufi shrines including the most famous ones have actually been built over destroyed hindu temples so such has been the history of the sufis so hindu saints are not sufi mystics and it is an insult to hindu culture and the memory of those saints to call them that way and finally so you can ask one genuine question if a muslim or a non hindu is interested deeply interested in laleshwari or raskhan what can he do he can always enjoy and appreciate hindu literature music arts as they are you know so call it call it as hindu poetry you can always enjoy it and appreciate it who prevents you to do that from doing that no need to dehinduize them because that's a ploy to dilute and eventually appropriate um i don't know anything about sufism or laleshwari uh, as you uh, i heard the name uh, um now only so isn't it uh, um not appropriate to uh, brand them as hindu saints uh, since uh, uh, that is not the name uh, in which they operated so uh, they operated in their own spiritual way so uh, isn't it the other way around that we have to um, um uh, throw some light on way? what is sufism so that will uh, ripple the ideology of laleshwari or any other hindu saints they are trying to dehinduize right isn't okay. it the other way around no 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 first of all see uh, as i told you hindus never have any doubt about these saints okay i mean how can someone uh, whatever sufism may be okay so we all know that it is a school of islam and uh, sufism is uh, ha- uh, may have some differences with say other sects like uh, sunni islam which is the mainstream is- islam or the wahhabi school of it whatever may be the case but uh, some of the fundamental tenets of islam right like about allah or muhammad being the only last prophet of allah and the concept of mumin and kafi i mean uh, does sufism reject any of that not at all right uh, if they reject it it can never be as a, a, a sect of islam at all so going by that yardstick how can someone who who took a, a shiva diksha a kula diksha a, a, in the kaula tradition and a vaishnava diksha and did the sadhana as per that all through their life even with any remote logic how can you call them sufi mystics i mean does doesn't it look absurd would you call bhagavad gita as a sufi text would you call shankaracharya as a sufi so why would you call uh, laleshwari as raskhan as sufis simply because they lived in the mughal era i have actually two questions so first thing is that if how the sufis are considering as a krishna as a messenger of the god or as a prophet or as a allah itself 
and second question is that do you think that like uh, quoting his poetry is very clearly saying that it's all about the logic and realization of the bhakti movement versus the altaqiya concept so muslim historians try to drag the raskhan into that direction using the altaqiya concept so just your two comments are needed in these my two questions thank you see sufism doesn't doesn't actually have any philosophical explanation of how how they would even view as krishna right so some uh, so some of these uh, the, the the muslim poets of the modern era uh, like allama iqbal for example so he called ram as imam a hind right so so what does that mean is that ram is like a leader or king of india he was a noble king a historical character but ram can never be accepted as a bhagavan or a godhead in any school of islam be it sufism be it sunnism or any school of islam because it's uh, it's completely against the tenet of islam so so obviously so what they say is that treat krishna as some kind of symbol you know that is so absurd because for raskhan krishna was not just some symbol i just quoted two po- poems you read sujan raskhan it is full and full completely immersed with the leelas of krishna and it is no different from any other krishna bhakti poet say surdas or mirabai or the alwar saints of tamil uh raskhan's poetry is ex- so if without quoting the name if you just give the poetry you can't even figure out that it was written by raskhan so how can you call him a sufi right so the second thing uh, you asked about what muslim i, I don't think muslim scholars are uh, perhaps doing this it's it's uh, some of these leftist historians and uh, some of these uh, scholars who want to portray uh, what is called a syncretic culture they say that uh, uh, the bhakti movement itself is not really a hindu movement it is some kind of syncretic culture it was a khichdi of some sufism some rama bhakti some yoga you know this kind of thing so so they want to create a discourse like that so they pick uh, either a lalleshwari or even kabir das for example kabir das has also been majorly misrepresented uh, so he belongs to the nirguni stream right so he also took diksha from ramananda who was a vaishnava guru so technically he can never be admitted into any uh, any sect any school of islam so this is a discourse to as i said dehinduize and to confuse uh, the already confused hindus this is what i see this opinion as so uh, first of all jataji thank you for um, essentially uh, bringing all this to the fore because i have heard about raskhan but not about leshri uh, i just want to know considering you have done all this research and everything have you tried to reach out to amarchit kasa folks to and uh, tell them about this thing uh, have you have you made that attempt Uh, i wrote a facebook post and tagged them 
maybe there should be a more concerted representation to them saying that uh, perhaps even a legal recourse uh, right because they they put they write laleshwari and then just write sufi mystic it's it's like a insult to the hindu dharma at least if they write as uh, you know a, a poet of a shaivite and sufi tradition at least there is okay they, they, they there's a confusion but they straight away write sufi mystic so her her shaiva identity is not even there so that is atrocious so so, so something needs to be done uh, with amar chitra katha on that at the outset thank you sir for the enlightening lecture i have a question uh, i have never come across uh, any historians calling hindu saints as sufi saints okay i i what i feel is it's a new uh, term coined by anti social elements the other anti hindu uh, historians don't you think uh absolutely yeah but it is it is kind of getting mainstreamed unfortunately that's the problem did sufi association or making her a sufi start from the kashmiri sufis in the 18th and 19th centuries or later what are the works from the kashmir hindus that one can do uh, that one can go to for lalla's biography and translation um okay um yes so the as i mentioned actually the attempt starts from the 1600s itself somewhat earlier than 19th century because the, the nandarishi uh, nundrishi was given a islamic name and everyone knew that nundrishi was a disciple of lalla and lalla was a tremendous personality in the kashmiri culture so uh, and the language so there has been a, a a kind of attempt from the earlier times uh, so but you read any proper biography of lalla so i referred some three four books maybe i can uh, send it uh, as an email which can be shared uh, when this video is put across so there is a, a book by name parag in hindi parag laleshwari walk by pushkarnath raina uh, who is a great scholar and professor uh, so it's a hindi book it is published by utpal publications delhi uh, it's a wonderful book the walks are given in the devanagari lipi as well as uh, the kashmiri uh, the kashmiri kashmiri version is given and word by word meaning is given and uh, there is a chapter called aitihasik prishtabhumi in this book where he refutes all this all these encounters with the sufis and all that there is another book uh, shiva yogini lalleshwari uh, written by dr yogeshwari bhatt it's a english book this is published by the art of living foundation uh you can refer to that and there is another uh, very authentic book uh, sayings of lalleshwari lalla vakhyani so this was published in the 1920s itself uh, by two indologists 
Sir George Grayson and Lionel Burnett. Uh, so this is also available. So this is also a wonderful book. So the, the walks are all given in the Devanagari Lippi and the Roman transliteration. And there is a lot of analysis about Lalla's language, poetry, and the philosophy also. So these three books you can refer. Sir, you said that uh, Raskan's language was uh, free from, uh, uh, what to say, uh, the Persian language. Yes. Or uh, whatever it is. Yes. Could it be free when he was a Sanskrit, I mean, when he was a scholar, both in uh, Sanskrit and uh, his own uh, tongue? Okay, the Persian language. Could it be free? And uh, what is wrong if there is some sort of a linguistic uh, osmosis? Because that would be enriching the Sanskrit language. If only when he had used right. a few terms there. Because that is the way in which language grows. Right. Yeah. So let me yeah answer it in two ways. It's absolutely possible that there are people uh, who are proficient in multiple languages. And when they write poetry or prose in one language, it absolutely doesn't have the influence of the other. Right. Then someone uh, who knows English quite well when he writes Tamil poetry was influenced and of a specific genre. Uh, there, there would... That is, this is for a regular scholar, but Raskhan was not just a scholar or a poet, right? He was a full-fledged Krishna Bhakta. In, the, in fact, he, he, he completely immersed himself in Krishna Bhakti. So obviously, uh, when his poetry found an expression, it followed a pattern that was already present in the Krishna Bhakti tradition, like Surdas, the, the Ashtachap Kavis, right? Who flourished in the Mathura Vrindavan region. So, so obviously, uh, it, it, it wouldn't have any Persian or Arabic terms. Uh, it's very natural. There is nothing called right or wrong. But uh, there is also a mention that before he went into this uh, writing his own poetry, he had translated Srimad Bhagavat into Persian. Unfortunately, we, we, it looks like uh, I searched in many uh, the books on Raskhan. There was no mention of whether that survives or not. It's just there in the legends. And the third thing is that the core Sufi poetry, right, written by the Sufi poets is so much Persian. So whether it is written, even when it is written in Urdu, for example, it follows the grammar of the Urdu, which is similar to Hindi, but the vocabulary is all from Persian. Uh, you read, uh, let's say, poetry of Mirza Ghalid, for example, Ghazals or Shairis, etc. So there is a the whole character of the poetry changes, isn't it? So, so it's impossible that uh, he would bring in Persian uh, language. In when he was so immersed in Krishna Bhakti. It is evident that the misappropriation of Hindu scriptures is being carried out since long. In Tamil Nadu, Christian, Christian missionaries claim that Tiruvallur is a Christian. How to stop this misappropriation and counter it? Yeah. Uh, see, the, the, the misappropriation is quite absurd, as we all know. Uh, 
so sometimes such mis- misappropriation uh, receive a political patronage unfortunately right which is what happened in tamil nadu so a, a baseless claim like uh, a tiruvalluvar was a maharishi any tamil who has read tirukkural knows that his book is divided into three chapters aramporul inbam which exactly means dharma artha kama so he was like any other dharma shastra writer in the hindu tradition and there are so many references all through his text that it is nothing but a hindu dharma shastra but at the start of 20th century this dravidian uh, movement came in fact this is a, a, a wonderful example of a successful dehinduization a dehinduization which has uh, been in the works for 100 years okay it, it actually started at the start of 20th 20th century saying that tirukkural is not, uh, it doesn't belong to any religion tirukkural is a tamil ethical uh, book tamil marai they call it so how is it possible that a language have its own dharma shastra i mean uh, the idea of dharma is obviously uh, in the indian context is attached to a spiritual tradition either it is a vedic tradition or a buddhist tradition or a jain tradition it's one of those traditions it's the things like secularism were not known 2000 years back so first what happened is tirukkural was made a tamil saint a secular saint and then so he was dehinduized that the whole tirukkural was successfully dehinduized by offering some stupid interpretations uh under uh, it is so i i have i i i had actually given a talk uh some 3 years back in swadeshi indology conference on dehinduization of tamil literature where uh, so some some close to 100 books were written saying that tirukkural tiruvalluvar and tirukkural are secular books so once this thing the dehinduization reached a certain stage the christians came into the scene then they started saying that tiruvalluvar was actually a, a christian saint he was inspired by saint thomas who had come to india etc etc so the next round of crackpot theories and the fraudulent claims so the 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 moral of the story is that if you allow the dehinduization to continue for a long time it goes into a very risky and dangerous levels where so many people start believing it so so in fact tamil nadu is a classic example where this has happened to tirukkural so so now you have to do give some shock treatment in tamil nadu case so you have to keep shouting from every forum saying that no no tiruvallur is a hindu saint you know this that tamil culture is hindu culture and all that yeah hi jaraji um actually my question has misunderstood uh... what i meant to ask was in tamil nadu as you know that evr is known as the vikram hero but a simple google search would tell that uh, he is not the vikram hero and someone 
uh, some others were uh, um, uh, doing that agitation so what my question is uh, aren't we supposed to read more about sufism or christianity uh, to understand that it cannot uh, abrahamic beliefs cannot incorporate any of the hindu beliefs um, we are trying we are always in the defensive mode to uh, justify that lalitshree doesn't belong to sufism but we have to read more about sufism to understand that it cannot incorporate uh, lalitshree right absolutely yeah but uh, you know see this is a short talk so so in, in fact the very premise is absurd right so you you don't have to study sufism to even tell that how lalleshwari doesn't belong to sufism okay that is another another type of an argument uh, i i already put that see uh, the my last slide has those bullet points right so some of the so how uh, so on each of those bullet points we can actually have a detailed talk right how nirguna is not the the formless god concept of islam how ekam is not so how prem of uh, uh, the the bhakti tradition is not the ishq or divanagi of sufi tradition they are so totally different yeah so, so so yes so i am not a scholar of persian or muslim lore or sufism but i have read basic things about the islamic theology and sufism enough to say that this whole claim is absurd so so there are hindu scholars uh, who have actually critically analyzed sufism uh, i think coinrod elst has written uh, ram swarup has uh, uh, or sitaram goel i think psychology of prophetism in the book he has analyzed hindu uh, view of christianity and islam that's another book of ram uh, ram swarup where he has done that analysis dr david frawley has written a detailed monograph on sufism yes so we must study whoever wants to undertake the study of our enemy uh, philosophies which we can call as purva paksha they are very much encouraged to under, undertake that but just to, to to establish this claim i i didn't even have to go that far uh, sir you were talking about uh, taking a legal recourse against uh, these kind of people who are propagating uh, literature to support that these personalities were sufis sufis Yes. so uh, i just wanted to know that do you have uh, uh, do you have come across any references or footnotings in their literature which supports their theory or they are just making this uh, out of thin air yeah so okay so the amar chitra katha is a more damaging thing right because it's a comics book it it's not a academic paper or anything but an extremely popular one which all hindu children read so when they put such a such an outrageous thing on their cover so you you have to take them to task asking them how can you put that so if it gets to a legal point so they have to back up their claim back up their claim right why how how they why do they want to call lalleshwari a sufi mystic so i think uh, i am sure that there has to be some hindu organization who who have to take them to court for this or at least put them pressure send a notice if they apologize and say that 
they 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 won't use that then it's okay it will be a moral victory either of this needs to be done in case of academics uh, fellows so they they would write some very long winding research papers see the, these terms like krishnite sufi you just go search google krishnite sufi you will see a few links so one guy will return a research paper another guy will reference that research paper and then they will say so this is how this industry keeps building i i told you about the the case of tirukural in tamil right exactly how it happened now we have to really literally break our heads to denounce all that 100 years of mispropaganda in fact all through these 100 years the true tamil scholars were shouting saying that uh, this entire uh, distortion uh, this misrepresentation is wrong but unfortunately the distor- uh, since the dravidian movement gained ascendancy uh, the dehinduization got so much philip but let us hope that won't happen in this case uh, and we will be able to arrest it shada ji you wanted to ask something about andal see how these people are becoming vocal andal for all, of all you know andal uh, doesn't even at least in case of uh, lalla the muslim rule was just starting in kashmir uh, raskhan was anyway born as a, a muslim but in case of andal andal is supposed to have lived in 9th century in tamil nadu uh, where the, the first islamic uh, invasion into tamil nadu mm-hmm. happened under malik ghafur which was in the uh, 13th century when the srirangam and madurai and chidambaram temple were mm-hmm. attacked so even the leave alone sufism even islam would have been unknown in the 9th century in tamil nadu how could someone get so arrogant to argue that andal was a sufi this is horrible you, you should just give a thrashing to, to that person 